truth. Hallelujah. Now, come on, let's thank the Lord. Hallelujah. The Bible says to make our requests known with thanksgiving. Let's thank Him right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, Lord bless you in Jesus' name. You could be seated. I do want to remind everyone with uh, weather. Uh, we had some uh, weather yesterday, and, and just to make sure everybody understands, if we do cancel and we make the decision to cancel, we'll put it on all of our social media. We'll put it out through our faith team's uh, uh, mass text. Uh, we'll make some phone calls and make sure everybody knows uh, if we cancel. If you don't get that and we're still having service but you don't feel safe uh, to drive, please, I understand that. I don't want you to feel bad. I'd rather your safety uh, be a higher priority. So if that's the case, I just ask that you would text me or Pastor Lucas or Trevor, one of the pastoral team members, so we know you're not stranded on the road somewhere. Is that okay? It's not that we're doing that or asking that in a controlling sense. We just want to make sure everybody's okay uh, and that you didn't come because of the weather and you're watching online. And uh, we'll, of course, uh, air that. If we do cancel, we can still uh, put it online and we will do that. And so there will still be a service online if we happen to cancel on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Amen. Well, God bless each and every one of you. So glad you're here tonight. And I believe our children, some of them are out already, but. Uh, with the play, but the rest can go ahead and be dismissed as well as our students. Amen. And is there any other classes, sister, ladies? Okay. Uh, ladies, if you are interested or have been going or want to continue to go to the ladies' breakout, amen. And everybody else will be in here. And of course, all of you online uh, will be in here as well with us. So thank you. Appreciate um, Brother Mac Underwood. He is. Uh, a good young man and, and filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, amen, and loves the Lord. And I called him or texted him a couple of days ago. I said, hey, you know, short notice, but can you have a timely 10 ready? And he said, yes, sir, I'll have it ready. So I'm excited to hear what he's going to share with us. So let's uh, give the Lord praise as Brother Matt comes in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I have a good bit to go over. And a little bit of time, so I'm going to jump right into it. Skip the introduction. Uh, Bishop just gave me one, so got that taken care of. You can join me with Mark in the book of Mark, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 12. Mark 11 and 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, as in Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. If happily, he might find anything thereon. He was just looking for anything. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter called to remember it, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou curseth is withered away. And Jesus answered him, saying, have faith in God. Have faith in God. So this evening, just for a few moments, I want to preach, uh, teach, whatever it may be, on fruitful trees and barren trees. Fruitful trees and barren trees. So when we read this story, it, it puzzles me uh, whenever I first read it because, you know, we see Jesus was hungry. He was on his trip. He sees this fig tree, uh, and he, he came to see if there's any figs on it, yet 
he didn't find any, and he got pretty upset, as we saw, that he cursed it. But it says in that same story that it was not the season of figs. It wasn't the right season. So obviously, you know, that, that leads to some questions. Why would Jesus curse something even though he knows it's not in the right season? So with that being said, we had to do a little research on fig trees. I have a feeling you're going to learn a little more about trees later. But we had to do a little research on fig trees in order to better understand these. So I'll spare you all the, the boring stuff, you know, and I'll just give you a brief synopsis of my findings. But there's a fruit, there's a fruit that comes on the fig tree before the leaves do. It's called the early fruit, and it's a little green fruit. And, and right up until the tree's almost ripe to bear figs, that, that little fruit, that early fruit is on there. Um, so it's easy to blend in with the leaves, but I want to make a special note that it comes before the leaves. That early fruit comes before the leaves. So if you're looking from afar off as Jesus was and you see a fig tree with leaves, it's indicative that there's going to be that early fruit on there, which you could eat for substance. Actually, during the time, a lot of poor people would eat the early fruit because it had some nutrition on, in it, give them some substance, especially if they're hungry. But if the fruit, the early fruit was not on the tree... There, it's a sign that there was no figs to come, that the tree was barren. So Jesus saw the tree from afar off, and he sees that there are leaves, therefore there's going to be early fruit. Therefore there's going to be figs if it's a tree that is fruitful. It says that Jesus was hungry, and he would have been happy if he had found anything on the tree. And when he got closer, he found that the tree indeed did not have early fruit, it didn't have any fruit on it, and he had been tricked in a way. Because from afar off, it looked good. It looked like there was going to be fruit on it. But he got up close to find that it was a barren tree. It had no fruit. And that is the reason he cursed it. Earlier in the same chapter, we see that Jesus went through. He flipped the tables in the temple. This was him coming back from that. And inside of the temple, he found, you know, its leaders were corrupt. He found that uh, once he got inside, that he found people who were not producing godly fruit but they were searching for earthly treasures. So we find this, this correlation between Jesus and once he finds something that's fruitless, from afar off it may look good, but once he gets close and there's no fruit, no substance, obviously there's repercussions and Jesus doesn't like it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 16. I'm going to read. Uh, you can follow me if you want. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grape of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. They will know you by the fruits you produce. So my Instagram bio, my Facebook uh, summary, whatever you have, your LinkedIn profile can tell one thing, but at the end of the day, you can fake that, but you can't fake your fruit. You can't fake who you are, and they will know you by what you produce. So that's how the world sees us. That's how the world knows us, not by what the appearance we give off like the fig tree, but once they get close, is there fruit in our lives? Is there love? Is there faith? Is there joy? Is there peace in our lives? Are we producing godly fruit? John Stott has a quote that's relative around these times. A Christian should resemble a fruit tree with real fruit, not a Christmas tree with decorations tied on. I found that funny. Amen. The number one reason for failure of trees, this is done by uh, Penn State University, but the number one reason for failure of trees to bear fruit is because they have improper tree vigor. 
An over, over-vigorous tree expands all their energy in growing wood and does not produce flower buds. Don't get me wrong, wood is important to a tree. Without a tree, without wood, it wouldn't be a tree. It'd just you know, be a bush or something. However, when the tree only grows wood, then it will not do its natural job as a fruit tree, which is to produce fruit. Likewise, whenever we become focused on this earthly treasures and temporal things, we will not produce godly fruit. It will cease our production. So this is an important reminder for everyone, including myself, that we must remind ourselves every day that this world is temporary and our focus is on eternal matters. Our focus is to produce fruit in a world that needs fruit, that is hungry like Jesus was in that story. And when they come looking, that hopefully they don't find a tree that is lacking fruit, but they find the faith, love, kindness, joy, and so forth, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that we are producing good things. Amen. Amen. Let me wrap up with just this story in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 6. He spake also, this was a parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground. That verse right there, number seven, and the New Living Translation translates that as, it's just taking up space. This tree that's not bearing fruit is just taking up space. And he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also. I shall dig about it and dung it. If it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that, I shall cut it down. It was a tree that was barren. It was a tree that was just taking up space. It was a tree that was just producing wood, but no fruit. And I have to ask the question, how do I avoid becoming like that tree, like a barren tree? How do I produce faith and love and be fruitful in my works that I do? And it all starts with a real and deep relationship with God. Hear this, a real and deep relationship with God will produce fruit because an authentic relationship with Jesus will produce a love for others and a passion for souls. And out of that will come love and faith and joy and peace. John 15 and 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. We are ordained to bring forth fruit. It's God's will that we would bring forth fruit and not be barren trees. So without God, we can do nothing. Without a prayer life, we cannot produce fruit. And I want to grow closer to God so I can fulfill his will in my life and be a fruitful tree in a world that is hungry. Amen, Bishop. You can come. Amen. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you for that. Brother Mac, appreciate your timeliness. Um, he, uh, until I posted about an hour ago, didn't know what I was preaching. I didn't know what he was preaching. He's preaching about trees. And my title is Notch on the Family Tree tonight. Uh, kind of neat how God does that. Isn't that cool? Um, so I'm going to jump right into the word here and, and direct your attention to Matthew chapter 1. And um, amen. So good to see all of you tonight. Uh, good to have uh, some guests with us tonight. God bless you in Jesus' name. We're glad you're here. And we welcome you in the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and of course, if we were to continue reading all the begats, and he begat and begat, and sometimes those can be laborious readings, uh, but they do offer us some valid 
uh, things that we want to discuss. And so tonight I'm going to take a look at that and just share with you some things that God has shared with me. So in Jesus' name, let's dive right in here. Let me first just say to you, no family is perfect. Not a one. Not a one. In fact, no family tree is without its share of knots and maybe a few nuts. (laughs) When we think of the story of Christmas, how much do we really consider the genealogy of Jesus Christ? I've read the Christmas story in the Bible many times, um, and part of our family tradition is to read uh, some of Luke's uh, rendition of that story before we open our presents and celebrate our time together. But I've never really read the genealogy part of it because, again, it can be laborious and some of those names are hard to pronounce. Jesus' ancestry may surprise you. His genealogy includes some names that you might be shocked to find in the King of Kings royal bloodline. In particular, we're going to focus tonight on five women listed in the genealogy and the reason that we're focusing on them is because it's extremely rare, if entirely non-existent, to see women listed in a genealogy. It is so rare that some have questioned the validity of Matthew's gospel. But more than the rare exception of women being listed is that not all of these women were Hebrew women. But they serve to remind us of God's grace. And like they, we too are outcasts. We too are undeserving of being included in such a prestigious bloodline. But oh, what a Savior. Amen? To have these women and others, uh, men included, who, who are, are unworthy to be included, really, I believe, reveals to us the manifold grace of God. You see, genealogies in Scripture do have a purpose. They give proof to times and dates and people and civilization. They reveal God's dealing with people, namely the Hebrews. They conduct business and clans and communities and the nation. They ensure the purity of the priesthood, and they chronicle the grace of God. Time and again, humanity, which is God's prized creation, has failed, has sinned, has lied, rejected, denied, betrayed, and has hurt God. And yet over and again, God ministers justice instead of judgment and grace instead of death. And how many of you are thankful for that tonight? In fact, did you know that the word grace and mercy are used five times more in the Old Testament than they are the New? And for these reasons... Genealogies were preserved, carefully recorded, and guarded. Luke records the genealogy, as does um, Matthew. Matthew's uh, genealogy is um, uh, the gene- excuse me genealogy of uh, Mary, and Luke outlines, uh, or sorry, Luke outlines Mary, and Matthew outlines Joseph's genealogy. But there's something interesting about the genealogy that we need to know, and and I want to start with this and point out something, that the royal line was cursed by God. The Davidic dynasty was cursed. 
Zedekiah marked the end of that dynasty of David that had spanned over 500 years. And you can read that, by the way, in Jeremiah 22, 30. Uh, so how could Jesus be the son of David and fulfill all prophecy? Well, Messiah had to come through the lineage of David or else prophecy would have remained unfulfilled. And if Jesus had been the actual seed of Joseph, he would have not been able to lay claim to the throne because of the curse. David and that curse was under, uh, 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 his descendants were under that curse. So Jesus had to come through a woman who had conceived supernaturally. And this is why Matthew 1.16 says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. He, he Joseph, was the legal adopted uh, dad, adoptive dad of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem uh, the, those of us under the law. So, he had to be born that way in order to bring grace in order to fulfill prophecy and in order to show us a beautiful picture of grace. So let's just take just a few minutes here and look at these five outcast women. Again, Matthew's genealogy reveals a striking anomaly. Five women are named and an argument could be made that these were the type of women you probably not want in a royal lineage. You might want to leave them off your guest list as well, but not God. God wants him included. And when he breathed out this word to Matthew to, to scribe and to write, huh, I can imagine Matthew felt a certain degree of appreciation for what God was doing. All of these women have backgrounds that are somewhat questionable. But they're listed for a reason and they apply to this message today about knots on the family tree. So let's look a little bit more closely. The first one is in Matthew 1 verse 3. A woman by the name of Tamar. Genesis 38 reveals the account of her life. It's filled with death, disobedience, incest, prostitution, and deception. These are not the kind of qualities you might look for, for those qualified, quote unquote, to be in the lineage of Jesus. Judas chose Tamar to be the wife of his firstborn son, Ur, but Ur was evil and God struck him dead. And by their custom, Onan, Ur's brother, was to become her husband. But he spitefully refused to father children by Onan, spilling his seed on the ground, and God judged him too. Frustrated at being childless then, and now asked to wait in Judah's house for a third son to be old enough to marry her, and give her children, she concocted a plan to fool Judah. Her desire to be pregnant overruled her privilege to wait, trust, and obey, and she allowed her emotions to lead her. She dressed up like a prostitute. Judah went in under her, and she conceived, and after the first trimester, she began to show, and Judah wanted her killed, but she had asked for his signet, his cord, and his staff, and when she presented them he knew what had happened. His sinful act of fornication with his own son's widow had brought about twins, Perez and Zerah. And this had stained the bloodline. 
But God allowed the royal lineage to continue through Perez. Now, there's really no happy ending to this story in Genesis 38. There's no repentance. It ends with the birth of the twins, and that's all we know other than what Matthew records of them. And yet when God is breathing out his word to Matthew, he says, include her name. Why? Because of God's grace. You see, if God doesn't gloss over some of the gory details, I don't think we should either. Brother Mac just got done preaching and, and said, you know, the, you, know, the true, uh, you know the tree by its fruit, right? And, and not to be like the Christmas tree that's decorated once a year, but rather to be a true person who brings forth fruit. But Tamar is a knot on the family tree. But it's not about what she did. The reason she's included isn't so that we can celebrate what she did, but rather what God did, despite what she did. If God could continue the messianic line through Tamar's offspring, the product of incest, harlotry, fornication, and deception, then he can continue his work of grace through all of us and all of our baggage of sin as well. And could it be? Who's writing this? Who's writing this? Somebody say it. What chapter are we in? What book are we in? Thank you. Who was Matthew? A tax collector. Hated by the Jews. So I can almost imagine as he's writing these words, having followed Jesus and having preached his message and having uh, seen him die and rise and, and ascend into heaven, I can imagine him realizing, you know, Jesus, you chose me that day at my booth. You called me out of my sin and, and nobody else liked me. And, and I can see him feeling this sense of unworthiness and remembering that God chose him despite that. And now he's writing about people too who society might have abandoned, but God didn't. Let's look at the second woman. It's in verse 5. Her name is Rahab. She's the mother of Boaz, wife of Salmon. Her account, of course, is recorded in the book of Joshua. Did you know that also Rahab, her name is included in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? So I got a question for you. Why do we still call her Rahab the harlot? Could it be that the, the innate desire of humanity to always want to see the negative kind of comes out? She's in the lineage of Jesus. She's in the hall of faith. That's pretty cool. She was a Canaanite. Oh, by the way, she's not even a Jew. And yet, as God's breathing out these words to Matthew, include Rahab. Oh, wow. <laughs> she's not even a Jew. This is ironic because Matthew's gospel's written to the Jews. Wow. She was a Canaanite. Canaanite the mortal enemy of God's people, a citizen of Jericho, the first city that Joshua and the people of God conquered in the promised land. Oh, and she was a harlot. 
the second woman here listed doesn't exactly have the qualities we're looking for. If, 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 if we're the hiring committee tonight for people we want in the lineage of Jesus, we're probably going to pass on Rahab. Jesus doesn't. Whereas Tamar's story ends ominously, Rahab does have a little bit happier ending. She and her family are spared God's judgment because of her faith. She marries Salmon, which is five generations down from Judah, eight generations from Abraham. By the way, eight means new beginning. That's interesting. <laughs> and Boaz is her son. Here's why that's important. Because in the same verse, Boaz was the father of Obed. Oh, when we see the third woman mentioned, who was the mother, was Ruth. Wow. So Boaz and Ruth get married, and Ruth is a Moabitess, also not a Jew. And her son is Obed, whose son is Jesse, whose son is David. Pretty interesting, huh? Although the book of Ruth, of course, has the beautiful story of her experience, the sad tragedy of her husband dying, but then the beauty of her going with her mother-in-law. I like how she says this. In fact, it's, it's been used in weddings and other places as well, but Ruth 1, verse 16, 17, and I'm reading from the New Living, it says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and I will there be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if any, I allow anything but death to separate us. What a beautiful statement she makes as she decides to go back with her mother-in-law. You know what's interesting? Ruth had a sister named Orpah. Ruth chooses to follow um, Naomi and goes in back to Bethlehem and um, she winds up marrying Boaz and becomes the great-great-grandmother of David. Orpah, her sister, history bears out that she married and her grandson was Goliath. Our choices matter in life. They really do. The fourth woman, let's take a look here. Matthew 1, verse 6. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So now we have the fourth woman that we want to talk about tonight. Here's something interesting. She was... David's wife at the time Solomon is born. But scripture calls her the widow of Uriah rather than the wife of David. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Reason I find that interesting is could it be that God wanted the reminder there not to sting, not to be cruel, 
but to remind us of the impact of sin. We must be careful. This is a painful reminder of David's sin. He was lazy and idle. He should have been at war. The Bible says it was a time when kings should have been at war. But instead, he goes out on his rooftop and he happens to look over at another rooftop and he sees Bathsheba bathing, orders her to his chambers, has sex with her, attempts to cover up his sin by bringing Uriah home from the battle. Uriah, a man of honor and integrity, sleeps outside because if, if his men aren't home, he's not coming home. David then writes out his death warrant, seals it, gives it to him. He carries it back to Joab, and he's killed. Everything seems okay until the prophet comes along, tells a parable to David, who, by the way, was a shepherd. Nathan tells this parable. But the beauty of this story is that in Psalm 51, David repents. And although the son, that first son dies, and although there is punishment that is uh, meted out to David, there's also forgiveness. Are you thankful that God forgives us? Are you thankful that God doesn't hold things over our head? I'm so grateful for that. The fifth woman I want to mention here tonight is in verse 16, and it's Mary. She's not like the other four women. Scripture does say she had set herself apart. She was uh, pure, and but she didn't come from wealth. She didn't have much. She was young. And yet she's chosen to be the mother of Jesus. You know, Luke records, and, and I want to take you there if you want to go with me to Luke, because this is a, we, we quote this a lot of times about how that nothing is impossible with God, right? And we're thankful for that. But what is really interesting is, uh, Mary, and I forgot to write this down, and I can't find it now, so I'm sorry. I think it's in Luke 1 or 2. I can't remember. But anyway, I'll just, I'll just tell you. I know it's there. But the, the angel appears. Now, can you imagine if an angel appeared to you? And gives you this statement. And, and I love Mary's response. The angel says, hey, you're going to be with child of the Holy Ghost. You're going to. He's going to save his people from their sins. She's like, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I don't know any man. Good question. Very logical. Very great question. You know, she knows how the process works, right? And the angel says, well, let me tell you a story. Your, your cousin Elizabeth is with child who was barren. He builds her faith, telling her a, a story of, you know, of faith that will encourage her. And then he says, and with God, nothing is impossible. Okay? Mary then responds, be it unto me according to your word. She goes from how can this be to let it be. Because of the word of the Lord. She may not fully yet understand it, but she is willing to accept the word of the Lord. By the way, some of, the, some of you may have seen some of the jokes going around, but uh, Mark Lowry wrote the song, Mary, Did You Know? It is a beautiful song. I like it. 
Um, but it's kind of funny because, you know, he tends to pose in the song that did Mary really know? Well, she did because the angel told her and she believed. And so some of the memes going around is, you know, Mary going, oh, yes, I knew, you know. <laughs> um, but, okay, funny Christmas song joke. But anyway, the point is, Mary believed the word of God. And yet, she's the fifth woman included. Here's this unwealthy, unlikely person to be chosen. You know, from all of these, and, and quite frankly, from all the people listed here, because you've got adulterers in here, you've got murderers in here, you, you've got cheaters and liars and arrogant people listed throughout here. It, it, it's a big mess of people. This bloodline is filled with sinners. <laughs> it may be better be called the hall of shame. And yet this is the blind through which Jesus comes. You know what it tells me? It tells me that he's willing to continue to work through fallen humanity to accomplish his grace in the world. And what a beautiful testimony it is when we let God's grace shine through us so that others can see it. You know, because every one of us have a past. Every one of us could find ourselves as a knot on this family tree and yet God's grace still covers us. I'm so thankful for that. And like I mentioned, you can bet that the average arrogant Jew to whom, again, this gospel would have been addressed would have wanted to ignore these. The writings of man probably would have glossed over it. Hallmark would not have included that in their movies. I don't think you're ever going to see a kid's drama about all the mess that's in the lineage of Jesus. Right? And even a message about it is even difficult to teach, much less hear. And yet, the Bible doesn't gloss over it. The Bible doesn't try to decorate it up and make it look pretty and just put it off as a side note. The Bible just smacks it right there at the beginning of Matthew to say, hey, take notice of this because my grace, God is saying, my grace is revealed through this. And I'm grateful for that. Grace is on display. This, this is not a message about parading sinners or even pandering to them. But what's, it's a message about God's Grace. You know, at any time, God could have wiped any one of these off of the face of the earth. When the woman was brought to him in adultery, he could have picked up a stone and threw it. He was the only one without sin, but he didn't. He forgave. His grace still is reaching. His mercy is still hoping. He is still loving and forgiving. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of grace. We mentioned earlier Tamar and her uh, twins, but Perez, the son in whom the line continued. What's really interesting about this is that because of the incestual relationship, they were barred for 10 generations from going into the temple. They could not go to temple worship. The person who ended that um, curse, if you will, who was the 11th generation who could now go in was David. Isn't it interesting then that David says in one psalm, I was glad 
when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. His is the first generation since Perez that can now go to the house of the Lord. Isn't it wonder then that David in Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David knew his family history. He knew that the ten previous generations could not enter in. His dad couldn't enter in. His grandpa couldn't enter in. All the way back to Perez could not enter in. But he was that final uh, that generation that, that curse had ended, that, that prohibition had ended, and now he could go in, and he wanted to maximize it. He wanted to dwell there. You know, that should be us. Because until Jesus came, we had no hope. Until he was born, lived, died, rose again and ascended, we had no hope. The Bible says we were uh, uh, without hope in this world. But because he came, because he gave, because he extended it to all and to whosoever will, we have hope, we have life. Thank you, Jesus. I, I do wonder, though, another little question here. On the tree that Jesus hung, I wonder how many knots were on that tree. You know, I can plainly tell you I was one of them. I was one of those knots on that family tree. But I'm thankful that he died and his blood was shed there. And he rose on that third day. Amen. Knots in wood indicate authenticity and adequately coated, they add beauty and value. So equally, your knots are not there to display your sin. God's blood covers them to reveal his grace. Have you ever seen a piece of wood that's varnished? You see the knot in it, it adds a certain level of authenticity. I've even seen where some people will a painting, they'll paint a knot in just to, to make it look more authentic. And so it's not that we're wanting to have fake scars, if you will, but I'm thankful that I can look back at my life and see some of those knots, some of those scars, and realize, you know what? He's forgiven me. His grace covers me. That varnish, if you will, on the wood is like his blood that covers. And I can know it's there. I, I know what I did. But I also know what he did. So it doesn't identify me anymore. But now I'm identified by his grace. And to me, that's what this beautiful genealogy tells us. If we wanted to just look at all the bad, we could. We could research it. We could write a book about it. We could come up with all the evil that was represented in each one of these people. And, and, you know, why would God do that? Or we could say, you know what? I know why he did it. He came because of all that evil. He came because of all that sin. He came because of all that disappointment. Because only in him can the wrongs be righted. Only in him can the iniquity and sin be forgiven. And isn't it beautiful that he does? 
And so as we enter into this Christmas season, think about why he came. Think about telling others why he came. Think about the forgiveness he's given you and that you've experienced in your own life and how you can help others in their life. Praise God. So grateful for his mercy and truth. So grateful for his love. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if we could just take a few moments and thank God. I wonder if we could just take a few minutes and just tell him how much we appreciate him. God, thank you for forgiving, loving, helping. Thank you for covering us with your grace and your mercy. Thank you for being our strength, our hope, our life. Thank you, God. When others wrote us off, when others, oh God, said we weren't worth it, you gave your grace, you gave your mercy, you gave your love. Thank you, Jesus. I give you praise and glory. I give you honor tonight. I bless your name and worship you, Jesus. You're so wonderful. You're so good. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, tying this into what Brother Mac also taught, we're known by our fruit. We're not known by how many knots we might have in that tree. We're known by the fruit we bear. And a knotty tree can still bear fruit. Aren't you grateful that God can do a miracle in your life. You know, we've done this a couple times in our church where uh, we've had testimonies and many of you uh, have shared your testimony publicly, stood here in this pulpit and have shared it and I'm grateful for that. I want you to think about that testimony for just a minute of what God's done for you. I want you to think about where he's brought you from and where you are today. And as you're processing that in your mind now, I want you to think about who could you tell? Is there a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, family member? Is there a backslider? Is there, uh, you know, a grocery store clerk that you see on often? Uh, is there someone you can share what he's done for you? You never know who might be hurting, who might be longing be free and what a testimony we have of the grace of God praise God thank you Jesus well as we get ready to close up here brother Brian I want you to come up we're going to pray for you I know um, had a friend that
passed away and and we're going to pray for him for strength and obviously for that family. Is there anyone else that just would like to have special prayer as we close out this service tonight? If you do, I want you to go ahead and come on up. And Pastor Trevor, if you'd come, get a couple men to come up and pray with Brother Brian. And Amen. Another one here wants prayer? All right. Sister, get a couple ladies that are here. Sister Laurel, if you'd come. Pray in Jesus' name. Praise God. Can we just extend our hands forward right now and pray for these in Jesus' name? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Mind if I lay my hand on your head? In the name of Jesus right now, I pray, God, your strength, your peace, and that which she needs, God, that you would reach into her heart right now. Minister according to your grace. Minister according to your word. We ask it and pray it, and we believe it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we thank you for your comfort. We thank you, God, that you're our hope in Jesus' name. You're our peace, God. We thank you, Lord. You provide the strength that we need. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We give you praise and glory, Lord. We give you honor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. Well, pray blessings on each of you tonight. I'm going to go ahead and end a little bit early here. Just be mindful of, if, you're, if you leave out that uh, back door, the ladies are still going. Um, and obviously our, our kids are also... Um, if you need to fellowship for a minute, that's fine. Otherwise, the Lord bless you. And uh, we'll see those of you coming Friday night to the rally and, of course, church on Sunday. So the play. So God bless you in Jesus' name.